The person who plants himself in the house of the Lord, like you're doing tonight, for the purpose of giving thanks to the Lord and singing praise to the Lord and declaring his loving kindness, those people, the psalmist says, will flourish and bear fruit in every season of their lives, even into their old age. It's a great promise that there is a blessing for those who are worshipers of the Lord. But there's not just a blessing in worship, but there's also power that is attached to worship. And that's what I want us to consider tonight. Very briefly, I want us just to look at five things that are happening in the spiritual realm when we gather like this to worship the Lord. The first thing, if you're taking notes, is that worship delights our Heavenly Father. It delights Him. Now, it's important for us to understand, God does not need us to worship Him. Our worship doesn't add anything to His person. God does not have some distorted view of himself and needs for his you know, people to tell him how great that he is. He doesn't need us to stroke his ego. God does not have an ego. He knows exactly who he is. That he is the creator and the sustainer of the universe. That he is the sovereign one. That he does what he wants and when he wants and how he wants. That God is omnipotent or he is all-powerful is what that means. And God is omniscient. means he is all-knowing. And God is omnipresent, meaning he can be everywhere at once. That's who God is. And God got along quite well before we came along. So God doesn't need for us to worship him. But God's also a father. And as a father, he enjoys experiencing intimacy with his kids. In fact, in Psalm 22, verse 3, it tells us there that God inhabits the praises of his people. And that word inhabit means to dwell amongst or to be enthroned upon. Now, I want you to think about that. As we gather here tonight, in just a minute, as we begin to worship again, this is what happened. God comes into this room and he basically enthrones himself in our praise. He sets up his throne. He comes and sits to be a part of what we're doing. And it's in this time that that God can manifest his presence. He manifests his glory. It was there in the Old Testament when they called called it the Shekinah. The presence of God in a very thick way would just come. And, And that's what happens when people are gathering together to worship the Lord. But as a father, he enjoys experiencing intimacy with his kids. And I understand this. I get this as a father because I love it when my kids, when we all get together, especially because they're all out of the house now. Denise and I, we're empty nesters, and so I love it when my kids come home. And we all get around the table, and we're eating, and we're talking, and Aaron starts going off, and we start laughing, you know, because my son can be very, very, you know, comical, and I just love that. It's this intimate and special time. Well, our Heavenly Father feels the same way when we gather to worship Him. That there is this sense where he just enthrones himself and he loves just his kids gathering together to be with him. Now, the New Testament Greek word for worship, it's used 60 times in the New Testament, actually speaks of intimacy. It's the Greek word, many of you know it, it's proskuneo. It's a word that means to turn and kiss. 
So guys, tonight you can tell your wife, hey, let's have a little post canoe you know. But that's the idea that God and just his love is saying, I, I, I want you to kiss me. I want to kiss you. It's, a, it's an act of intimacy. Our God, and I don't want you to think of this in a weird way, but our God's a lover. And he loves his people. And, and the Bible tells us that God is love. And, and being a being who is love, he likes to express love. And he likes it when his kids come together to just express their hearts to him in that way. He delights in that. But the other reason why worship delights the Father is that he enjoys watching his kids do what they were created to do. And you guys, again, know that as parents. When you watch your kids and they're doing something that that you just know God has gifted them to do and you see them doing that, and doesn't it delight you? Like, man, that is so awesome. My daughter Amanda is a great photographer. And I watch her take pictures, and I see her pictures, and I, it delights me because I can't take pictures like that. I mean, I try, and I, the filters and all and this. I, they don't, it's natural. No one taught her how to do that. It's something that God has gifted her in. And God's the same way. He loves to see his kids doing what he created them to do. And God, we were made for God. We were made for God. God was not made for us, but we have been made for God and we have been made to worship him. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 16, it says that all things were created by him and for him. In Revelation chapter 4 verse 11, it says, you are worthy, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created, catch this, you created everything and it's for your pleasure that they exist and were created. Why did God create us to worship? And why does God delight when we gather like this to worship? It delights the father to see his kids engaging in worship because he knows it benefits us. He knows that it's a blessing for us. It's good for us. God knows this, that it's good for us to get our eyes off of ourselves Because two things happen when we get our eyes on ourselves. We either can get puffed up with pride, like, man, I've really got all together, or we can get really, really depressed, right? Like, man, I am such a loser, you know, I'm just always, you know, blowing it. And God loves it when we get our eyes off of ourselves and the realization that we exist for something greater than ourselves. And God knows it's good for us to get our eyes off of the horizontal. Most of us today spent our day wrapped up in the horizontal, right? These horizontal relationships and horizontal, you know, things going on that that our focus was so this way. And that can be depressing. I mean, we live in this world that is filled with chaos and confusion. And right now, if the presidential election was tomorrow, our choices are Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. That's depressing, okay? I mean, it's like I want to move to New Zealand or something, you know, if that's the the deal. And so God loves it. He sees the importance for us to come to a place where we get our eyes off of that and onto him and we recognize that God is sovereign. That he is the one who puts kings into power, the Bible tells us. That he is the one who wins in the end. That God, who loves us more than we could ever comprehend or ever imagine, is for us. And so worship delights our Heavenly Father because 
He loves this intimate time that we have with him. And he loves seeing us do what we were created to do. And he loves the way that it affects our hearts and getting our perspective in the right place. But worship not only delights our Heavenly Father, but number two, it develops our church family. And I often think of the different types of people who call this their church home. I mean, there's people that come here from all different, you know, ages, people from all different ethnic backgrounds and economic backgrounds and family backgrounds. I mean, every single one of us has a story, but all of that gets put aside in Jesus. And we come together as this group of people who have all been touched by his grace, equally brought together as sinners in the need of a savior. And when people get together and say, we're here to worship the Lord and express our love for him, there's an interesting thing that happens. There's a unity and a togetherness that happens that's really, really sweet. I caught a little bit of a picture of this a few years ago. It was at a Charger game. Because there's worship that goes on in a Charger game, right? You know, It's a different kind of worship, but somebody took me to the game. I've only been to two, and this was the second game that I had went to, and it was, we had field seats. And it was a Monday night game, and, and you know, the game's going on, and you know, everybody down there is standing. You, don't, you stand the whole time. We're standing there, and every single time the Chargers did something great, the guy next to me, the first time it happens, you know, they made a great play. He hugs me, you know, and the guy in front of me turns around and gives me a high five. And, and I'm like going, what are you doing? You know, you're like invading my space. You know, what is going on here? And, and it kept happening. And pretty soon I'm hugging everybody and I'm high fiving everybody because we got caught up in something greater than ourselves, this football team and this experience. Well, that's what happens. When we come together in this way, we forget about all of our differences and we realize that we're here to focus on someone who is greater than all of us. There's an awesome picture of this in 2 Chronicles chapter 5. It'll be on the screen, but it said, and it came to pass when the trumpeters and the singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord, that when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and the cymbals and the instruments of music and praised the Lord saying, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. And the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house. Notice what it says. As they gathered together, the the musicians and the singers, to make one sound. They came together with one heart and one mind and one purpose to exalt God, and God showed up big time. So worship delights our Heavenly Father. It develops our church family. And number three, it defeats our foe. And again, we, say a great, we see a great picture of this in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Let me set up the scene for you. Three armies, the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir were coming against Judah. And at that particular time, a king by the name of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat was the king. 
And he was a good king. He was a godly king. And so he seeks the Lord in prayer. And the Lord declared, here's what I want you to do. Here's the battle plan. I want you to assemble the the worship leaders and have them go out before the army. Now picture that, okay? We're invading Baghdad and we're sending Denise and Don and Pete and Eddie and the, you know, the true drummers. It's like, okay, guys, go out before the the army. And they're going to go out. They're singing and and we're going, they're going to get killed. I mean, that's what God was, that was what he told Joseph to have them do. And they're probably thinking, our king has lost his mind tonight. But notice what it says. It says, and as they went out before the army and were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Now, when they had begun to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. What happens is, worship is happening, and God sets ambushes. I love that. You know, as we worship tonight, God's setting ambushes. And the enemy goes against one another. But I want you to notice, the enemy was defeated when? When they began to worship. And so too our enemy. Here's why. Satan hates worship. He hates it. It's the reason why he got kicked out of heaven. Because he desired to be Worship. So he hates to see people and beings worship God. And so if he, whatever he can do to get people to worship him, whether it's directly or indirectly, by not worshiping God, he is all for that. So the last thing that he desires to see happen is people come together to worship God. To him, it's like fingers on a chalkboard. You know, that sound like... It's, it's the drill... In the dentist chair. When you're sitting there, all of a sudden he goes, and you're like, please don't put that in my mouth. That's what it's like to the devil. He bails. He bails the scene. Now catch this. You want to make the devil mad tonight? You want the devil to get mad? Go vertical. Go vertical. Lift your heart, lift your voice to worship because in settings like this, he shows up and he wants to distract. He wants to get us focused on ourselves. He wants us to be distracted by those who are around us. But when we don't allow anything to hinder us and we focus on the Lord, he gets defeated. He's like, hey, I can't penetrate this, I'm out of here. So worship exists for the delight of our Heavenly Father. It develops our church family. Number three, it defeats our foe. Number four, it declares our faith. It's a way of declaring our faith. Now, there are six Hebrew words for praise in the Old Testament. And each one of them gives us insight into how worship declares our faith. For the sake of time, I'm only going to touch on very quickly four of them, okay? The first word we want to look at is the word yada. I want you to say that. Yada. Say that. Yada. Yada means to throw out the hands. It's a, it's, a ver, it's a word that's actually used in Psalm 7 verse 17. It means to throw out the hands. And the idea with the word is to throw out the hands to touch the throne of God. It's like, it's like just saying, God, you are awesome. You are great. It speaks of a thankful expression of worship. The second word is zamar. Say zamar. 
Zamar is used in that same verse, and it speaks of using instruments to praise God. Okay, so these instruments, this is biblical, what we're doing tonight, okay? Let's read Psalm 7, verse 17. It says, I will throw out my hands in praise to the Lord according to his righteousness, and will sing and use musical instruments to praise the name of the Lord Most High. The third word is halal. Let me see you say halal. So you're learning Hebrew tonight, okay? Halal, which is the most common word for praise found in the Bible. It's used 99 times in the Old Testament and in a third of the Psalms. In fact, halal is the root word of hallelujah, which actually means to praise the Lord. But the word halal, I love this, it means to shout, to celebrate, to rave, to boast, to sing loudly, like it's okay to get a little bit excited about God in church, okay? That's the idea. It's like to shout out. And I think we have something to get excited about, right? We're saved. We have something to celebrate. We have something to sing about. We have something to be excited about. We know God, and and we were his enemies. Now we know him. We live in relationship. We're loved by God. We have access into heaven. The veil of the temple, because of the cross, has been rent in two, and it's like God was saying, open house, and he tells us, come boldly into my presence. We have something to be excited about, because every single one of us here, before we came to Christ, we were on our way to hell, and now we're on our way to heaven. We can be excited about that, amen? So these are reasons to declare our faith. That's what halal means, to shout, to celebrate. The fourth word is tadao. Let me hear you say that, tadao. To down also involves the hands, and it means to lift our hands, and it's the most common word uh, for thanks in Israel today. It speaks of lifting the hands in thanks for what God is going to do. It's the outward lifting of the hands that really reveals the inward lifting of our hearts. In Lamentations chapter 3, Jeremiah said, let us lift our heart with our hands. And so we can't lift our hearts. We can't pull out our heart and go, but we can in a sense symbolically say, God, here's my heart. I'm giving it to you. The difference between yada and, and taudao is that yada speaks of giving and taudao anticipates receiving it's that heart of a little kid saying daddy pick me up i want you to think about that tonight as we're worshiping what's your expression is it one of saying god i'm giving myself to you tonight or are you in a place tonight where you're like god i i I need to receive from you i need a fresh touch of your spirit or god i need you to meet me here in this place And so those are four words that just speak to us of expression of declaring our faith and declaring what God has done. So worship delights our Heavenly Father. It develops our church family. It defeats our foe. It declares our faith. And number five, and finally, it dethrones our flesh. In the Old Testament, the word shakah, let me hear you say that, shakah, Shakah is used for worship 97 times. 97 times on 97 different occasions. And the word shakah means to lay prostrate. It means to bend and to stoop. It's the idea of showing humility in the presence of God. It's declaring in our hearts that God is the center of attention, not me. 
And many of the scriptures bear this out. Psalm 95 verse 6 says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. Now, if you think about it, the very act of worship, when it's heartfelt, announces the absence of self-absorption. It announces the absence of self-centeredness because in worship, what we're doing is we're being preoccupied with God. And it's like there's no one else in the room. It's like our focus is, God, you are greater. You are worthy of all honor. All that matters is him. Now, obviously, for most of you here, to bow on this concrete is probably not a reality tonight. But you can bow in your heart. And if you want to, you can go over here on the carpet that's padded and bow tonight if you want to do that as we begin to worship the Lord. But this is what's happening. As we move here in just a moment to begin to worship the Lord, this is what's taking place in the spiritual realm. We're delighting our Heavenly Father. We're developing our family together. We're defeating our foes. Satan's getting mad. I like that. And he's like, I'm out of here, you know. And we are declaring our faith that we have something to celebrate And we're dethroning our flesh by exalting God.